0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Jesus Christ was a man of joy. He himself was a man who lived with great and deep abiding joy. So it's interesting to me that Jesus said this, I have said these things to you, his followers, to you, so that my joy might be in you. And so that your joy might be made complete. Jesus wants his joy to be in my life and in yours. And the Father and the Son have sent forth the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be within us, to produce what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And you know the list. Love, joy. It's a fruit that he wants to bear in your life. The Spirit does. He generates it within you. Within every circumstance, despite every circumstance, there is the possibility of joy. If we would let the Holy Spirit give us that gift. Well, what can we do to receive it? That's what I want to focus on this morning. We're in a series, if you've been with us, about the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful topic this summer. And I, I can say that because I been, haven't been preaching in this series. The preaching has been excellent. If you've been traveling, as I have, and you've missed some of the sermons, uh, please use our app or go to the website and listen to some of these sermons. It's so important, particularly for Presbyterians. On Pentecost Sunday, we've got the Holy Spirit fire extinguisher on hand. Every, you know, we're, just, we're very nervous. We are, we're good with control. We're not so good with freedom. And the sovereignty of God. And what would the Spirit do in our midst? We need to know how do we relate to this wonderful person of the of of the Trinity who is with us because of Jesus Christ today. So, my title is rejoice. But even as I began, I felt like I had to confess to you: I don't really, I've never been attracted to the word rejoice. I don't, I don't know what it is. I kind of visualize it in red ink on a greeting card, you know, with sort of flared uh, serifs, and it just, it was glitter, and I, it has never moved me. And actually, I didn't pick the title of this sermon, Rejoice. I picked the theme but not the title. And I, I, I've always felt like Rejoice, which is a command of the Bible, is a hard command. Um, maybe f- for me, you know, um, cold-hearted George Hinman that I am. When you tell me to rejoice, I, I go, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like when people say, have a nice day. You know, I, I, it, it, and you, if you're old enough, if you're of a certain age, you remember George Carlin's routine on have a nice day, uh, where he says, you know, it puts all the pressure on you. Now you've got to go out somehow, manage to have a good time, all because of some loose-lipped cashier. Have a nice day. Oh I thought things were going to be fine until you told me to do that. And I feel the same way with rejoice. If you're already in a state of joy, you don't need a command. Nobody has to tell you to rejoice. If you're not in a state of joy, the command, does it help? It just makes you feel under the pile even more. Oh, no, I felt bad when I started this thing, and now I feel even worse. I feel disobedient because I'm not rejoicing. And we're funny about joy. I don't think we understand it. We confuse it with happiness. And I think I was thinking about this uh, this week. I've been back all week. I've been wading through my inbox. There's a ton of work. And I thought, why didn't I choose to preach on joy before I went on vacation? Because then I'd be like, I'm so happy. You know, I'm going on vacation. And then uh, how many of you had high hopes for your vacation this summer and you come back from vacation? It's not that you're not glad to be home, but you've nothing to look forward to now. So, you know, where are you going to find your happiness? The scriptures tells us about a joy that is deeper than that that penetrates our lives even in the midst of disappointment. You can cry and feel joy at the same time. But what about this command to rejoice? I want to give you this morning exposure to another part of the scriptures and its teachings on joy, where joy is a reality, but it's really the command. There's another command. It's the command behind the command to rejoice. The Apostle Paul would never tell us to rejoice if he didn't first give us this other command And I want you to understand the command, the imperative that is in the New Testament, which supports joy and which allows us to see the command to rejoice as an invitation, not as a burden. So with that, I would invite you to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, the black book in the rack in front of you, you want to turn to page 952. Our text this morning is Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together. Ephesians five eighteen through 20. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Did you catch the imperative, the command that was in there? The central command of that text is be filled with the Spirit. I want to just slow you down long enough to get you to reflect on those simple words. Be filled with the Spirit. Maybe new to you, maybe very familiar to you, but but I hope you notice how strange it is. I call this a backwards command. It's backwards grammatically, and it's backwards culturally. So let's just take a moment to see if we can get our heads wrapped around what's backwards about this command. First, grammatically. And I apologize for this. I'm an English major, and uh, so I'll just spend a few minutes on the grammar here. You'll you'll get it, okay? The grammar of all commands is is imperative. The imperative mood is is what we do. The action moves forward uh, from the subject to the object through the imperative. So hit the ball. Subject of of the sentence is you. Hit is the verb, and ball is the object. You hit the ball. Uh, that's a a command in the imperative mood. So it, it invites you to take action. Some examples of imperatives, hit the pitch. These are English. Carry the water, hold the center. But now, the interesting thing about this command, be filled with the spirit, is while it is in the imperative mood, it is also in the passive voice. Stay with me. In the passive voice, it's not the subject who performs the action of the verb towards the object. It's the object of the verb that performs the action towards the subject. It works backwards. Did you follow that? In the passive voice, the verb works backwards. It doesn't take the subject and get him to do the object. It takes the object and gets the action of the verb done to the subject. That's the passive voice. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll explain this later. Some of you love this because I do. So examples of passive Uh, the voice, Uh, I was hit by the pitch. She was carried by the water. They held the center. Uh, Sorry, the center was held uh, by them. The center was held. Strunk and White tells you not to use the passive voice. And it's not very common in English for us to use an imperative mood and the passive voice together. We almost never do it. It's, it's more common in Greek for a variety of reasons. But when, it, when the text is be filled with the spirit, we're confronted with a grammatical anomaly for us and we don't know what to do. with it. Just think about it for a minute. This is like saying be hit by the pitch, <clears throat> which was my primary strategy in Little League. <laughs> I just I just want to take a second to give you some advice here. You know that there are at least six ways that you can get on base and getting hit is only one of them. And so I'm probably the only parent who's in the Little League stand. My kids are at bat praying that they get hit by the pitch and, and that they don't get hurt, of course. But, you know, that's what the, you get on base. Be hit by the pitch. It's, you know, the pitcher is doing all the action. All you have to do is become the object of the action. Okay? It's passive voice. Life just happens to you. Pitches just happen to you sometimes. And that's what it means. Be hit by the pitch. Uh, here's another example of that. Be carried by the water. It's an imperative. It's a command. You have to do it. But it's the water that carries you. Be carried by the water or be held by the center. Do you see how odd that is? We want to do, do, do. And this is, no, get done, 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 get done, get done. Get something done within you. So when the Apostle Paul says here in verse 19, he says, I am envisioning lives like your lives. And I'm envisioning your lives in such a way that you want to get together with other followers of Jesus and just sing songs from your heart. I know your lives are going to be hard. I know that you're facing persecutors. I know that there are challenges outside and inside of the church, the Apostle Paul says. But all of that, notwithstanding, Sunday after Sunday, you'll gather and you'll sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs from your heart. With thanksgiving in everything. Where does that joy comes from? Be filled with the Spirit. A backwards command. Let the Spirit so work in your life that there's joy. So, you know, that's the grammatical oddity of it. But I I just got to remind you, as I have to remind myself, that it's culturally backwards as well. Because you and I are programmed to do. We're raised for action. And we think that success in life and everything you always wanted to get out of life, which I think the Bible calls joy, is something you get by doing the action yourself. You, the subject, grab a hold of the verb, get the job done to the object, which is the world, and you'll feel joy. I think you believe that. And I think I believe that. Paul's saying, that's not it. Not life of Jesus Christ, not life in the spirit. Works the other way. I I, I want to suggest to you that joy, and here's my point, is an imperative. But it's not your job. Catch that. Joy is an imperative for you and for me, but it's not our job. This summer I read uh, Death of a Salesman. I tell you, any book that's short is a good book, and I'm shallow. I like short books. This is a very short book, and I, so I read it over vacation, went back to it. If you haven't seen The Death of a Salesman on stage or read the book, you've got to go back. It's, uh, you've got to go to it. It's an absolute masterpiece, an American masterpiece of literature, Death of a Salesman. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but uh, Willie, <coughs> Willie Loman is the main character. And Willie Loman is likable from the first moment he steps out onto the stage. You just go, like him. I I am like him. You relate to Willie Loman. He's this attractive guy who lives with great vision. He is hardworking. He's going after his dreams. And he's got huge outsized dreams. And you go, that guy's going somewhere. And that's that's where we live in the American culture. But the thing about Willie Loman is that the thing that is his dream, that is of making something of his life, it's also his nightmare. It's very tragic. He believes that he will find life when he makes a life for himself. And so he's out there. He lives in New York, but his um, sales area is New England. So he goes out in a car and does and comes back, and everyone asks, "How are you, Willie?" He says, "Fine." How's business? Ah, it's never been better, he tells his wife. He tells his two sons, grown sons. It's great. You know, they love me up in Boston. They love me in Hartford. I can park in front of the Red Strip in Hartford. The police will watch the car for me to make sure it's okay. May I just love your dad, Willie Loman. The truth is he's not selling anything. He's coming back empty-handed with nothing but the money that he's able to borrow from his neighbor. He's a phony, as one of his sons would come to call him towards the end of the story. He's not finding joy, but he doesn't have the courage to tell anybody because he thinks it's all about him. It's about his responsibility to do the action, to fulfill the imperatives of life that would make him satisfied and his family satisfied. At one point, he he makes this profound comment. He says, I feel kind of temporary about myself. He speaks that as an aside to his brothers, um, not part of the story except in a vision. His brother, Ben, uh, made it rich as a young man. Ben says, William, I walked into the jungle when I was 17 years old and I came out when I was 21. And by God, I was rich. And that haunts Willie again and again. This idea of the self-made man. And he goes, ah, what, what am I missing? I can't seem to make that happen in my life. And he says, Ben, you got to help me advise my boys because I'm not sure I'm giving them the right advice because things aren't going that way for them. Well, we're all Willie Loman. If you ask me after the service, as everybody did after the 830 service, George, how are you? What am I going to say? Fine. And that's what we say to one another. I'm great. And oftentimes there's some truth to that. There's a lot for which we're grateful. But there's also a backstory. And that is that there's some deep pain in our lives. There really is. And we don't know what to do with it. We don't bring it to the surface and share it. It haunts us. So it says, I'm fine. You know, but you know you just got in a huge fight with your wife and you're not talking to each other and you're really angry. He so says, I'm fine. But you know your career is falling apart. And you begin to feel like you're a fraud and soon everybody else is going to find out. Or you say, I'm fine. But you know that you're struggling with a sexual addiction. That all you want is to feel loved, but now you know it's out of control, and you're terrified. Fine. But I'm trying to find joy, that all of the places that I have looked to try to find that joy are not supporting my ambition, or my desire, or my yearning. See, our culture confuses happiness with joy, and it confuses who's the agent. It's not supposed to be you and me. Jesus says, I want to give you my joy. I want it to come through my spirit, be filled with my spirit. By the way, there's another passive imperative right next to it. It's there for contrast. It says, do not get drunk with wine. And the Apostle Paul is not trying to teach on intoxication here. In the context, he just uses that as an illustration. I mean, Luke had said when Pentecost came, everyone thought they were drunk. Paul probably remembers that, but now he's, he's referring to alcohol for a different reason because it's very similar. These are both passive imperatives. In both cases, there's something else that begins to influence your life and permeate your life and, and give you gladness. I mean, wine is a good thing in the Bible. Wine at the harvest, wine at weddings, wine when there's peace. All of these circumstances are wonderful things and they do make our hearts glad, but they come and they go. And there are times when uh, work isn't so good, when relationships aren't thriving in our lives and when there isn't peace. And so Paul says, don't go to wine. Be filled with the spirit because he's ever constant in your life. He's ever faithful in your life. He's always there when you feel utterly inadequate with the adequacy of Jesus Christ power of jesus christ and the peace of jesus christ that the world does not understand he says but it's there for us this uh summer in fact last month the, um, the new yorker magazine did a great interview with bruce springsteen i don't know if some of you may have seen this. it's a real long interview and it's very honest bruce springsteen the boss and what he says is i have struggled with depression for 30 years which is a wonderful thing to say, I think, in the public media, because so many of us struggle with depression. or So many of us have loved ones who struggle with depression. And just to, to take the stigma off and say, hey, I'm a successful uh, rock and roll um, artist and, I, and I'm depressed. Uh, clinical depression. But here's what, he's, you know, here's what he, he could also admit that he has been medicating his depression with rock and roll on stage. Many of us have been using rock and roll for years, but actually to be on stage. And they notice your concerts are so long, they're four hours. What's up with that? And here's what he says. He says, "Uh, my my concerts are oftentimes driven by pure fear and self-loathing and self-hatred. It's as though he's saying, I am Willie Loman on stage, but for a moment I get to forget about the pain in my life because I'm consumed with what's in front of me, and it makes me feel better. And the Apostle Paul knows wine will do that. Now, wine may not be your issue, uh, your your medication of choice. Uh, being a rock and roll star might not be your medication of choice, but we all have them, whether it's relationships or our work or um, quick fix sexually or um, uh, alcohol. Whatever, and in, 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 uh, Bruce Springsteen even says, My issues, my, meaning his solutions, weren't as obvious as drugs. Mine were different, they were quieter just as problematic but quieter we all have ways of trying to create joy in our lives but we could never rejoice if it were up to us we could only rejoice if there were someone within us capable of overriding the pain of our circumstances with a deeper sense of joy and that's what the and that's what the spirit does in our lives so finally how do we obey this command How do we live as though Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, were literally alive within us? I want to suggest that the answer to that question is faith. That's the only action that's needed from you, is faith. Is to believe that this is true. Every other action is a responsibility of the Spirit. The Spirit's the one who's going to fill you. You don't have to get yourself filled. The Spirit's going to do the action of the verb, the filling. You just have to believe you know, you go, ah, oh, George, I don't think the Spirit's in my life. I mean, I read about all kinds of weird things that happen when the Spirit's in your life, and none of that's ever happened to me. And uh, Or I know people that are maybe usually pastors or missionaries or grandmothers who seem very filled with something that's good. Uh, but I know I'm not filled with that. <clears throat> I want to I want to remind you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's in your life. In verse 13 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, you were sealed with the Spirit when you believe the gospel. He's, he's there. He's, he's within you. First Corinthians says, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. He's there. And the question isn't how much of the Spirit do you have, it's the question of how much of you does the Spirit have. Do you have faith to let go of areas of your life where you want to be in charge and allow the presence of Jesus Christ to guide you, to lead you, to care for you, to fill you, to make you adequate. He wants to do that. He's just enough of a gentleman to ask you to give him permission. And that's what faith is. Bruce Larson used to tell the story about um, New York City. He worked there for a while, apparently, on Fifth Avenue, there's a large office building. And he says, come into the lobby with me and see this building. You walk into the lobby and there's a giant lobby, huge atrium. And in it is a statue of Atlas, the strongest man in the world, rippling muscles. He's just absolutely like I will be in eternity. Uh, it's this mortal body is just not giving you the vision of what you need to picture, but the you know, Atlas, right? And he's bent over towards the ground under the weight of the world. And uh, Larson says, you know, you can live that way. You can live bent over the weight of your life, of the world, all your problems, the world's problems. You can live that way. But you better be the strongest man in the world. Then he goes across the street, and uh, across the street there's a church, St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral. And you go inside, you look above the altar, high up there, and you see a little shrine to Jesus. And there's Jesus, there's a boy, um, age 9 or 10. And he's holding... The world in his hand, just effortlessly. See, there are two ways to live. One is to bear it yourself. To think I'm the only one who's going to, if this thing's going to work, it's going to be me. Take responsibility. I keep trying to manage, micromanage the circumstances of my life until I finally make them work out. But get ready to strain under the weight. And and it's a joyless existence. More like Sisyphus than Atlas. Rolling that stone back up against, uh, again and again up the hill. Jesus says there's another way. Be filled with the Spirit. Let my presence engage your heart to let you know how much I love you, that I've given my life for you, that I'm alive for you today, and that whatever you face, you'll be facing it with me, and I'll be giving you the power. Trust Him. As one writer says, trust Him when thy strength is small, trust Him when to simply trust Him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust Him. He is ever faithful. Trust him, for his will is best. Trust him, for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. When we talk about being alive in Christ, we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ through his Spirit living his life in you. Joy is an imperative, but it's his job. And as we let him do his work in us, we will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, not because we've been commanded to rejoice. It's simply because we want to. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we confess before you that there is so much need in our lives. We find ourselves confronted with circumstances we don't know what to do with. We find ourselves afraid. We find ourselves lonely. We find ourselves yearning. And yet we thank you that you have invited us to come to the one who offers us rivers of living water. That flow from you into the deepest parts of our being. That allow us to face all of those things. The happy things and the sad things with a sense of deep joy. So we open ourselves to another measure of your spirit. We pray that you would reveal areas of our lives that we're holding on to too tightly. And our knuckles are beginning to whiten. And you're quietly asking us to let, let me in there. But we even need your spirit to let go. We pray you'll give us that gift today as we continue to worship you in song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 524 7301 extension 117